We're going to continue our series in Malachi, looking at chapter 2. These are the words, and now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and he turned many away from iniquity. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of Lord of hosts. But you've departed from the way. You've caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you've not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Holy Spirit, um, as we come to the word today, it's a very solemn moment. We're so thankful for what you've done in our lives. We've praised you, we have honored you, we've worshiped you, we've celebrated your goodness. We have worshiped you with our giving, but we wanna hear what you have to say to us, to challenge us, to be the people of God that you really desire for us to be. I ask, Lord, that um, in these next few minutes that you would anoint me, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, neither are true, but because I need it to rightly divide and to apply your word, this serious text, to our lives today. So I pray, God, that you would supernaturally captivate the attention of everyone in this room in these next few minutes. Give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us. Challenge us to take serious your word today and be changed by it for the sake of eternity, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This box that I'm holding is uh, more than 70 years old. Um, I wasn't sure of the time. I had to ask my dad, but I remember growing up watching my dad on Saturday night pull this box out. I thought he made it maybe in middle school or high school, or I mean high school at shop class. Um, but he said he was actually 12 or 13 years old, so that means that it's well over 70 years old. Um, but it is a shoe shining box. He said he saw it on Popular Mechanics or something like that, and he had a desire to mess a little bit with wood, and so he cut it out, put hinges on it. it has a little uh, box that you keep the, uh, the brush in and the polish in. And when I picked it up from my mom and dad's, my mom gave me a $20 bill in it too. But I already, already took that. You never know, mom's just that way. But um, 
I thought maybe it was a $20 bill that was like 50 years old, but no, she gave it to me that day. So, and you put your, you know, put your shoe up here. Dad, every Saturday night faithfully before he would come to church, before he would uh, teach Sunday school or do whatever he was doing that day, would always shine his shoes. And that's kind of an art that I think has gotten away, at least in, a, in most circles or in most people's case. Um, I don't have a box. I guess I could get that one from him, but um, I still do that. It's pretty important to me. I like people to know that I take seriously what I do and I like my shoes to shine. And so only I don't have a box. I just spread out some newspaper on the floor so I don't get that gunk all over the floor and shine them while I'm watching sports or something on a Saturday afternoon. But um, the text that I read to you today speaks about an issue that's far more important than shiny shoes. It, it speaks about the danger of the shine wearing off of us spiritually. When we lose the shine or the vibrance of the presence of God. Philippians 2, 15 and 16 says this. This is Paul's invitation to us, his challenge to us, that we be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you're supposed to shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This morning I read, it just happened to be my devotions this morning, so we don't have it on the screen, but Daniel 12 and verse number three, I thought, when I read that, I thought how appropriate, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness shine like the stars forever and ever. There is supposed to be in our lives a shine that is attractive to a lost world. People should see us and there ought to be a brightness, an expression of God's glory and his holiness that that exudes from us, that attracts lost people to what we have. But there are times that that shine wears off. We don't shine like we once shined. We don't attract people to the gospel like we once did. Life happens, we get discouraged, we get frustrated, we lose our intensity, we lose our spiritual discipline. So I want to talk today for a few minutes about the shine wearing off. And I'm going to tackle this text because it's a hard text. It was a tough text to, to be preaching on big day when guests come. It's like Malachi's a little bit gloomy. But, but I, want to, I want to make it extremely appropriate and pertinent to our lives. And so I'm going to begin by just taking a couple of minutes and explaining what this text meant in its original intent. Who was it written to? And why was it written? I won't spend a lot of time there. And then I wanna look at that text and how it speaks to a specific group of people today that should take heed and take warning. And then thirdly, I wanna to turn to what is its message for all of us? Because it has one. Let me begin by just talking about this text in its original intention. 
This was first a very strong rebuke of the priest or the priesthood of the nation of Israel. Not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want you to understand the backstory to the text. The opening two verses give this warning to the priest of Israel. Now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you don't take it to heart to give glory to my name, saith the Lord, I'm going to send a curse upon you. I'm going to curse your blessings. I've cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. So the charge that God leveled on the priest in Israel was that they had not embraced, they had not taken to heart what he had already spoken to them. They had not put into action that which he had declared to them and that which he had advised them in. And so God says to the priest of Israel, I need you to listen, I need you to take it to heart because if you don't, I'm gonna curse your blessing. And then he says, indeed, I've already done that. Because up to this point, you have not taken to heart what I have said. God promised that if they didn't listen, if they didn't embrace it, that ultimately he would have no choice but to judge them very harshly. So what was the failure of Israel's priests? Their very specific failure was they had failed to honor the name of God. Pastor Ryan talked about this last week, but one of the things the priest had done is they had brought sacrifices that were maimed. They were the worst. They were the blind sacrifices, the lame. They didn't bring the very best. They found those that they could really do without, and they made those their sacrifices. And God said, that's not honoring my name. When you give me your leftovers, when you give me the worst of the flock, that's not honoring me. And he said, so you have not honored my name. They were not carrying out their responsibility to guard the truth and to judge the people with integrity. There were two roles that the priest had. Number one, the priest was to settle disputes about the law. If somebody said, does the law mean this? Help us understand. They were to settle disputes. And secondly, they were to protect unholy people from the judgment of God by offering pure and perfect sacrifices. But they had failed to do both. They did not apply the law like it was supposed to be applied, and they offered maimed and lame and blind sacrifices, and God said, you have not honored my name. So their failure was going to bring rebuke. God said, because you have failed in what I've called you to do, I'm rebuking you, I'm gonna curse your blessings, and your children are going to reap the consequences of your sin. In Malachi 2.3, a verse that ought to make all of us stand up and listen, I will rebuke your descendants. I'm going to spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take away with it. Those are pretty harsh words. But as harsh as those words were, they were intended to warn the priest of the danger that would come if they didn't turn around, if they didn't respond to God. And so really it was God's kindness and his love and his grace that was saying, I'm warning you, if you don't turn around, this is what is going to happen. God had made a covenant, a covenant with the tribe of Levi. 
That was the tribe that were the priests. He had made a covenant with them that was to be kept, but they had failed on their end of the covenant. In chapter two and verse four, you shall know that I've sent this commandment to you because I want my covenant with Levi to continue. Don't get lost here. Just hold steady with me as I give a little bit more of the backstory. Levi was the third son of Jacob. Jacob and Esau were sons of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Levi was the third son of Jacob. So he was the grandson of Abraham, who was the father of faith, the father of Israel. Levi's sister was Dinah, and when Dinah was raped by Shechem, Levi and Simeon were the only two that would take that on themselves, and they, they responded to back up their sister. Remember when Israel was at um, Mount Sinai and Aaron had, or Moses had gone to the top of the mountain and they were tired of waiting. Remember that story? And they got tired of waiting and so they talked Aaron into making a golden calf. Remember that? And they, they worshiped around the golden calf and Moses came down and was so angry and he slammed the tablets of stone down. It was the tribe of Levi that stood with Moses. Who's on the Lord's side? And the Levites said, we're gonna be on the Lord's side. And the Levites from that point on became the people of God, the chosen people of God that would be the priests, that would bridge the gap between this holy God and this unholy people. But now they had failed. The Levites had many responsibilities. Look at chapter two, verses five through seven. My covenant was with him, Levi. It was a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me, and he was reverent before my name. The law of truth, the word, was in my mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. Originally, Levi was a godly leader, and the tribe of Levi led in a godly way. He walked with me in peace and equity, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. And people should seek the law from his mouth because he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That was his responsibility. But they had failed. The tribe of Levi had failed. And God had warned them that their shine had worn off. They were to fear and reverence the Lord. The law was to be in their mouth. They were to teach and judge appropriately. They were to be totally just and totally fair. They were to walk in integrity and they were to keep and guard the knowledge of truth. But they had failed. God said, your shine has worn off. Look at verse eight and nine, but you have departed from the way. Your shine wore off. You've caused many to stumble. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi. So I've made you contemptible and base before all the people because you've not kept my ways, but you've shown partiality in the law. Can I just pause for a moment and say, notice here, you've caused many to stumble. One of the worst things to do is not only fail yourself, but is to cause other people to stumble and the priest had caused other people to stumble. These were very strong words. This was a very strong warning to the priest of Israel. Your shine has worn off, he said. 
You need to turn back to me. Now, let me move into a second area of truth and say that there's also an implied warning here. While it was written to the priest initially, there's also an implied warning to those who accept roles of spiritual leadership today. And I'll be honest with you, even talking about this makes me a little nervous and makes me tremble a little bit. What a tragedy is that the very ones that God chose to keep his house and to keep his word pure were the very ones that ultimately corrupted it. This speaks to me as a teacher of the word of God, as spiritual leadership, which is an incredible privilege. The Bible teaches me, it teaches us that we are to guard our roles very carefully. Pastor Clayton leads this congregation in worship every Sunday, but he has to make sure he has a shine. He has to make sure that he guards his own life because there's this higher responsibility for those who are called to actually lead people in that place. In James chapter three and verse one in the New Testament, James says, brethren, let not many of you become teachers because we will receive a stricter judgment. That kind of brings fear in all those who have responded to the call of God and said, I believe, God, you want me to be a teacher. I want you to be a pastor. But James says, be careful with that because there will be a stricter judgment. Leaders must be aware of the potential for the enemy to destroy. Paul warned the Ephesian elders not to let their shine wear off. When Paul met up with the elders in Ephesus. We read about it in Acts 20. And he said to the elders in Ephesus, take heed to yourselves. Watch yourself and guard your flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul said, that after I leave, wolves are going to come in among you. They're not going to spare the flock also from among yourselves. Men will rise up. They will speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Watch and remember, Paul said. For three years, I didn't cease to warn you. Everyone, night and day, with tears. Prophet Jeremiah has a stern warning. Woe to the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You've scattered my flock and you've driven them away and you've not visited them. Behold, I will visit evil upon your doings, saith the Lord. Gordon MacDonald says, being a leader is wonderful, but it is not without a price. And Richard Baxter, Puritan preacher of the 17th century said, take heed to yourselves also because there are many eyes upon you. So there will be many who observe your fall. If you miscarry, the world will also echo with it. It is the same as the eclipses of the sun in broad daylight. They are seldom without witnesses. That's a scary to preach about. We've all watched it. We've watched leaders, spiritual leaders rise and fall. The point that Paul is making, the point that Baxter is making, the point that Jeremiah is making, the point that God is making through Malachi is that when you choose to be a leader, you are walking in a higher level of responsibility. Your fall can cause others to stumble. It's a haunting truth. We have to keep our shine. 
We have to pray. We have to study the word. There's a stricter judgment for those that lead. And so I would ask you, pray for me that my shine doesn't wear off. Pray for your leaders that their shine doesn't wear off, that we stay rich in the word of God. Now let me move to a third point. And that is there's finally a powerful challenge to all of us. If you thought you were getting off easy today, whoo, this is not for me. This is just for priests and pastors and leaders. You're wrong. It's for all of us. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1 and then verses 5 through 9. Peter says, put away all malice and all deceit. Put away all hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that you can grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good and you can come to him a living stone rejected by men and the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house. Look at this. He's talking to all of us. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to Christ. Look at the screen, but listen to me. Here's what it says. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Everybody look right at me for just a moment. We are all called to be priests. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are to proclaim the praises of the God who called us out of darkness. How many are glad God called you out of darkness? But we are called now to proclaim the praises of God because now we are all priests unto God. And so the warning is to all of us. Don't let the shine wear off. So what must we remember to make sure the shine doesn't wear off of our lives? Can I just share with you four things? Number one, honoring God's name is serious business. Shouldn't take it lightly. To honor the name of the Lord is serious business. Look at Malachi 2 and 2 again. This is the complaint. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, then I will send a curse upon you. Honoring the name of the Lord is serious business. Author Heather King writes these words, for most Americans, Arvo Park isn't exactly a household name. But the composer from Estonia, composer of classical and sacred music, Arvo Part, has won numerous international awards, honorary doctorates. After the pain of a struggling marriage and a prolonged illness, the very talented Arvo Part spent seven or eight years searching, during which he wrote his only symphony. Symphony number three. During that time, he also came to embrace Christian faith 
and he was received into the Eastern Orthodox Church. In a review of his work, the British newspaper, The Guardian, quoted him in saying his simple but lofty goal for his vocation and his calling was that he wanted his music to express, listen, love for every note that I write or play. What a beautiful way to pursue our calling in life, no matter what we do, no matter where we are planted in life, no matter who sees what we do, we can make it our desire to express love for every note that God calls us to play. The honor of God's name is serious business. Are you saying, God, I want every part of my life, whatever you ask me to do today, whatever you ask me to say, wherever you place me today, God, I want every note of my life to honor you and bring glory to you. Honoring God's name is serious business. Secondly, the fear of the Lord is something that needs to be restored. I don't know how many of you have spent your life in church, but if you have, you know that the whole concept of fearing God has been diminished in most circles. Kind of treat God lightly, kind of treat him frivolously. We love to say that God is my friend and he is, but how many believe God is a holy God as well? And we need to honor and recognize his holiness. Oswald Chambers says the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. There are some folks that live their lives in fear, but if you fear God, you can be at peace with everything else. If you fail to fear God, you'll live your life in fear. Let me talk about fear for just a moment. At Mount Sinai, this is a really interesting text. So the people are at Mount Sinai, Moses is up on the mountain, and when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid, rightly so, and they trembled. And they stood afar off and they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us, we will listen, but don't let God speak to us, because if we are that close, we will die. And then Moses said, look at this really interesting verse. Look at it on the screen. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Does that seem a little odd? Don't fear. God came to test you, so you will fear. What is he talking about here? There are two kinds of fear. There is servile fear. That's the fear that a servant feels toward his master who is harsh and unyielding and unrelenting. And then there is phileo fear, the fear of a son toward his father, a reverence that a son has for his father. Look, look at me, everybody look for just a moment. God doesn't want you to fear him like he is this harsh master. He wants you to fear him like he is a holy, godly father that has your best interest in mind. The fear of God is something that needs to be restored. Thirdly, we want the shine to stay on, we need to remember that the truth of God's word is to be given away. Look at Malachi 2.7, this is interesting. The lips of a priest should guard knowledge, guard it. And people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord 
of hosts. How do you guard, look, look at me, how do you guard the truth of God's word? You guard it by giving it away. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, I want you to guard the good thing that I have entrusted to you. He was saying, Timothy, you guard it when you give it to someone. You guard truth when you share truth with someone else. The parable of the talents, remember that one with five, one with two, one with one. One with one buried his, that wasn't guarding it, it was the one with two and five that took it and used it and multiplied it. They were the ones really guarding it. You want to guard truth, you guard truth by sharing truth with those who need Christ. Who are you? Look at me, who are you? sharing truth with. God calls us to guard truth, and we guard it by sharing it. If you don't want the shine to wear off, guard the truth of God's word by sharing it. And let me end with this one. This is the biggie. The spiritual vitality of the next generation is at stake. This is not just a big deal for you and me. This is a big deal for the next generation. Verse 3 says, because your shine wore off, I'm going to rebuke your offspring and your descendants. There's a great price to pay when the shine wears off. Can I just um, put a bug in your ear this morning when we talk about church attendance? Parents, what is optional for you will be forsaken by your children. If you think being a part of a worship service is an option, if I've got time for it, I'll fit it. If not, that may be fine for you. You might nail 25 or 35 Sundays a year, but if you're living that kind of life where worship is an option, your children won't see it as an option. They'll see it as something they forsake altogether. I don't wanna embarrass Joe and Janet, neither do I wanna wake up Joe. Joe, are you awake? I wanna make sure. But can I just tell you, there was something about looking back and seeing his family. Joe's 90 years old, Janet's 72, just so you know, all right? <laughs> There's something about standing there and looking back and seeing that whole family, children and grandchildren, worshiping, entering into the presence of God. Janet did something right. Don't you believe that? Janet did something well. And I know you guys are proud, but there's, and I don't want to embarrass the family, but they didn't let the shine wear off because they knew the next generation was at stake. I'm sure there were times Joe and Janet didn't feel like dragging all those kids to church. It would have been easier to stay at home, but they instilled in their children who have instilled in their children the importance of putting Jesus first. Can I just tell you the next generation is at stake we need to be very careful that we don't let the shine wear off. Batek Philippe, you may have heard of that, known for luxury watches. He's a Swiss watchmaker. He's well known for his clever advertising slogan, you never actually own a Batek Philippe. You merely take care of it for the next generation. And I'm just challenging you this morning, don't let the shine wear off because the next generation is at stake. Would you stand with me if you would and I want you to listen, don't leave if you can possibly stay for these final moments.
How are we caring for the truth that we must pass on to the next generation? Has the shine, has the shine worn off? Fascinating story, and this will be my final word in his 2016 documentary titled Light on Earth. David Attenborough tells of an unbelievable experience of the SS Lima. On January 25th, 1995, this British merchant vessel sailed the waters of the Northwestern Indian Ocean. And while they were doing that, the seas beneath them began to glow. It's a documented story. It was a clear moonless night, about 150 miles east of the Samayan coast. There was this whitish glow that was observed on the horizon. After 15 minutes of steaming, the ship was completely surrounded by this milky white color with a fairly uniform luminescence. It almost looked like the ship was um, sailing over a field of snow or gliding on the clouds. Stories of glowing seas have been part of maritime folklore since the 1700s, but they've never been scientifically confirmed. But a group of scientists had an ingenious idea Using a defense of meteorological satellite, Dr. Stephen Haddock and his team discovered a large luminescent area, roughly the size of Connecticut, 110 miles long. The phenomenon was identified in the exact area where the captain had reported the ship that night. Some marine biologists discovered that the glowing sea was caused by massive swarms of bioluminescent bacteria feeding on large population of algae. Imagine that for a moment. Bacteria are microscopic, but when they congregate together, these tiny creatures that can't even be seen by themselves with the naked eye can suddenly radiate their light 600 miles into orbit. What would happen if the 700 people that attended this campus and the several hundred that attend the other and the believers in churches all around this community, what would happen if we all determined we're not going to let the shine wear off? not going to let it wear off. What kind of difference would it make to the next generation, to the world around you? Bow your heads with me. Two questions. One, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you say, Pastor Kevin, today I want to begin serving Him. Would you pray for me? Anyone in this room would say, pray for me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to surrender my life to him. Anyone in this room would raise a hand and say, pray for me. Can I ask a second question with head still bowed? How many would say, Pastor, I don't want the shine to wear off my life.
the sake of my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, for the sake of a world that needs Jesus, I do not want the shine to wear off. How many would raise your hand with me and say, that's where I'm at. We're just going to worship the Lord together. We have time. Purposely left some time. This chorus is simply says, I'm going to make room for you to do whatever you want to. You can respond any way you want. If you feel compelled to come and kneel or stand, you can do that. You may just want to stay where you're at, but I want everybody to respond as the Holy Spirit leads them. But if you're serious about having a life that the shine doesn't wear off, make this your prayer response.